This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Leo Blasey talks about fear in service for country. Father Leo is retired from the U.S. Army where he was a mechanic, then a helicopter pilot, and eventually a maintenance test pilot. Father Leo was ordained a priest June 3, 2017 at Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina. He is currently the pastor of Sacred Heart Church in Plainville and St. Thomas Church in Stockton. Father Leo is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Kelly Roper. Father Leo begins the show in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The prayer of St. Bridget of Ireland. St. Bridget, you were a woman of peace. You brought harmony where there was conflict. You brought light to the darkness. You brought hope to the downcast. May the mantle of your peace cover those who are troubled and anxious and may the peace may peace be firmly rooted in our hearts and in our world. Inspire us to act justly, to, to reverence all that God has made. Bridget, you are a voice for the wounded and for the weary. Strengthen what is weak within us. Calm us into a quietness that heals and listens. May we grow each day into greater wholeness of mind, body, and spirit. And we ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, gosh, you've got all this military um, in your background before you actually became a priest. Been a priest now four years, already a pastor. You are just really moving along and, and uh, you know, spiritual father now, you know, and, and, and bringing you know, your flock. It, it's great to have the Holy Spirit moving within you. So it's, yeah, so good. So tell us a little bit. We've been talking about the topic or the theme is Be Not Afraid. And so there were probably some pretty unnerving moments in your military life. So can you tell us what fear is in military life? Sure. Um, actually, I want to start with this morning at Mass, we, the responsorial psalm happened to be Psalm 23. Mm. If you're not familiar with Psalm 23, it's, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside restful waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. You, your rod and your staff, comfort me. That's a, a really popular psalm in the military. The first thing we've got to do when we talk about fear in the military is we've got to define fear. You know, that there are great limitations to the English language. And there are two words that are largely misunderstood by the culture today. The first one is love, and the second one is fear. We tend to heap all of, everything that is love and everything that is fear under one big um, pile of, of stuff. And But really to understand love or to understand fear, you, you've got to unwrap it and, and figure out what exactly you're talking about. Of course, as Catholics, when we're talking about love, we're talking about God's love, which is total self-sacrifice and as a military person you you have to understand that intimately because there are times as a military person when you are called to give yourself completely and there are not very many careers in the world where, where that demand is, is placed on you but being in that environment just automatically has a fear component that, that is with it so okay so now we, we define fear what is fear well, everybody knows that we have instinctual fear. Instinctual fear is that thing that causes us to jump when somebody jumps from around the corner and surprises us. Mm -hmm. 
instinctual fear is actually a good thing. It, it's the thing that has kept the human race in the world since the beginning of, of humanity. Then there's secondly, there's what we would call experiential fear. So humanity, I think, to a certain extent, is instinctually afraid of fire. But today we have stoves in our houses and stuff mm -hmm. that, that are relatively safe. But a young child might come up and, and put their hand on a hot burner where the fire might be off, but the, the guard for the burner is still hot. And you experience that that, is, that will burn you. So yeah. you, you gain experiential fear from that, and you learn to stay away from it. And then we have habitual fear, which is something that we develop over time. It would come from, like, repeated abuse, where maybe if somebody called you a name or somebody swung at you and, and hit you one time, that might not make you fearful of them. But after a recurring number of events that eventually you become afraid of that person because of the way that they treat you. So that would be habitual fear. And then we have the emotional fear that comes from from ourselves. And, we, and a lot of times those emotional fears have to do with, with our mental mindset where we, where we are at a particular time. And sometimes those lead to disorders. Um, but even when we define fear in the ways that I've talked about here, there there is a large, a broad scale of the things that we we call fear. So, at the lower end of the scale, the least intense of our fears is what we would call trepidation. That's that's what we feel when we get when we're out on a dark night and we get goosebumps on our skin or we feel the hair on the back of our neck standing mm -hmm. up. That's trepidation. That's part of the instinctual fear that we have that that tells us that there is something around us that that we might need to fear so we, it it just heightens our senses we pay more attention to that and then there's on the next level up we have nervousness that that causes us to get a little bit jittery um, and even at that level of nervousness that can be a problem for us in in the way that we react but then we get up into anxiety and anxiety can can be disordered where it, it makes us dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. And then we move into dread and desperation, panic, horror, and terror. Those things are, are each one a greater level of, of the fear that we feel at a particular time. But usually by the time we get above dread, we are not functional anymore. Mm -hmm. And so part of military basic training is to figure out where a person is on that scale because some people immediately go to beyond dread to, to panic and horror as soon as they get frightened. We can break it down another way. There, there are three responses to, to a fearful event. There is freeze, flight, or fight. A big part of military initial training is to, to figure out who those are that freeze when fear strikes them because in a military environment, they are useless. They are, are just a, a They are immediately a casualty, and they're immediately a, a weight upon the other troops that are involved. So, the effort is to try to weed those out immediately. If they, if their immediate response is is to freeze and and not be able to function, they want to get those out of the military before they ever go into even into the the regular training environment where they they start to learn their jobs. 
So that's part of basic training. So, you know, you hear a lot of people come back from from basic training and they say the, the drill sergeants were mean and they're terrible and they, they yell at you and they cuss at you. And that's all to see how you react to, to stress. Mm. And the ones that re- react inappropriately to stress in a way that would be harmful to, to them and to everyone around them, they, that they're weeded out through that process. So that's a big reason why the drill sergeants do what they do. The ones that respond with flight or fight, depending on where they are on the scale, they can be made functional. If, if their response is to, to flee, what they have to learn is that they can trust. They can trust themselves to respond in an appropriate way, and they can trust their brothers to respond in an appropriate way. And so that's when you get to your your job training, the the training where you do what you're going to be doing in a combat environment, then you learn to to trust your brothers. And they they the first thing they do in the military to get you to do that is they break everybody down. So so everybody's down on the bottom level. And then as the training progresses, they they build everybody up as a group. And that teaches you to trust your brothers and, and those that are with you to to be able to help you through the situation, how, however stressful it may be. As long as you're able to to accept that training and to, to learn from it, then then you continue in your training. Some people, it, you know, it, it really depends on the person's experiences in life, how they, they react to those things as training begins. Some people have lived a stressful life from when they were very young and they've learned to cope and they've learned to, to deal and, and help have others help them deal with things. Some people have not lived any stress at all in their life and when they're thrown into that stressful environment, they just do not know how to react. And you could see where that would be a very dangerous thing when, you're, when you've got bullets and rockets and things mm-hmm. coming towards you. Sure. Um, and you're relying on the guy next to you to, to stand up with you and, and do the right thing. So the, a big part of the, the initial training in the military is to, to teach you how to respond to, to stress events without losing control of your emotions. Um, and that's, for most of us in the United States, for most people in the United States that are not in the military, that's what fear is, is a loss of control of emotions. Mm-hmm. They, they don't really think about fear in any other way. Um, and there's not... For a lot of people, there is no spectrum. It's it's either they're afraid or they're not afraid. But in the military, we learn levels of fear and that w- how to control those levels of fear, even to the point where we have to stand up and say, "This is where I have to give my life for for my brother that's that's down the line for me." And and most people just don't understand really anybody being able to be in that mm-hmm. that mindset. That's the mindset of a military person. Um, mm. The mindset of a soldier, you know, a lot of times it, it drives me crazy when I hear the media talking about our, our fearless heroes. To be fearless in a, in a military environment is to be foolish. But fear has to do with, with making good decisions, to be prudent, and then the, the opposite side, the inverse of, of fear is, is courage. And he was talking about fortitude and courage is one of the, the virtues that, that comes under fortitude. So, so prudence and, and um, fortitude are, are the aspects of, of our faith that the military talks about it. They, they talk about 
courage and, and making wise decisions. So the mindset of a soldier is first and foremost that we are in doing a, a service of honor to our country. Mm-hmm. And the way that we do that, the best way we can do that is by being a solid, united group who can fight together because no man can fight alone mm-hmm. for, for any extended period of time. And so the, the, the major focus of military training is to teach people to, to do everything all that they do in their even in their lives. When you're an active duty military member, you you live in the same housing with the the people in your unit. You you do all of your functions together. It is a family, mm-hmm. and and you learn to to think of your brother and sister soldiers as family, and that's the reason that you're willing to go out day after day and and face those things on the battlefield that no person should ever have to experience once in their life, let alone repeat over and over again during a, a year deployment or some of our soldiers now have done five or six year long deployments. Um, the Army is typically a year long in their deployments. Some of the other services have shorter deployments, but especially the Army, they, they put you out there for a year. And then the, the cycle has been since the, the war started in Iraq in, in 2001 that most of the soldiers go back to the combat zone every three to five years so for for a year mm-hmm. so you are exposed to things that that cause you great angst yeah. over and over again on a day-to-day basis and and you know the situation at a particular base forward operating base or wherever you may be at is not the same every day, and your de- deployments are different. Some of them may be less stressful, some may be more stressful. But just the fact that you're spending time in, a, in an area where people have guns that are looking to kill you, and you're away from your family, brings a level of stress that most people do not understand. Yeah. And because we have been in a combat situation for so long, we, we just got out of the war in Afghanistan, um, and you know we can have long discussions about whether the the way that we pulled out of there was a was a good way to do it, but the fact is that we had been in a war for twenty years in Iraq and in Afghanistan. Um, that has brought a great deal of stress to our military members. I I was reading, and I've heard over the last couple of years that it's been continuous for for some time now that we're losing twenty two veterans a day to suicide. They were able to, to face the, the most horrifying things in the human experience in combat, but then they come home and they go back to their normal lives and they, they hold those things in. I don't know, do you, do you know many people that have, have served in the military? No, I don't. I don't, I, I don't have a lot. Um, yeah. One thing that you will find if you talk to them is that they do not talk about their military service. Yeah. The, the guys that talk about their military service a lot, you'll find out, are the ones that didn't go into combat. Yeah, yeah. The guys that have mm-hmm. combat experience don't want to discuss it because they've seen things and they've done things that the common people don't understand. Yeah. So the problem is that once they're out of their military service, they go back into their civilian life and they bottle that stuff up and they hold it in. 
and eventually as they go through their lives anytime you bottle something up it's likely to become pressurized at some time right. and explode yeah. and the, the one thing that our I would have to say that our military system and, and our veterans care systems have not been able to accomplish well is how to bring soldiers back and, and allow them to go into civilian life without having that stress that's that's bottled up inside of them. That's the reason that we're hearing so much in the media now about post-traumatic stress and those effects of it. We've always known about that. In World War II, it was called shell shock. And in Vietnam, they, they really didn't define it, but there were a lot of soldiers that came. Vietnam was an ugly war. The, the things that happened to, to our young men and the things that our young men were called to do in Vietnam were beyond anything that anybody has ever experienced in war before. And then they came home and they were spit on and they had feces flung at them at airports. And, and so you want to talk about having to bottle stuff up and put it away. Yeah. Uh, towards the end of the war, the soldiers were told, change into your civilian clothes before you go into the airport so that they can't see and wear a hat. Mm. Now, so right from the time they stepped off the airplane at home, they had to put all that stuff away. Mm-hmm. And the majority of the ones that were that are experiencing the, the suicidal issues today are the ones that when they came back from Vietnam, they had to bottle all that stuff up and they and I've got to praise the Vietnam veterans because they stood up at the end of the war and they, they stood up and, and brought veterans groups to the forefront and they said, you know, we've got to do what's right by our, our troops when they serve for us. And they, they have made things better in a lot of ways for, for military members who, who go out and, and give their lives for the country and for their families. Um, but we've still got a long way to go. Yeah. So to... to to try to say that our troops are fearless is doing a disservice to them and it's setting them up for failure when they come home because you know we, we bring them home and, we, and now we give them parades and stuff like that sometimes especially in the small towns yeah. but we don't give them services that they need to, to deal with the, mm-hmm. the experiences that they've had yeah. in the military you have to bottle those things up sometimes because you've got to operate from day to day and you can't let your brothers down. But, but we need to learn as a culture, if we're going to expect our, our young men and women to go into service and and do those things for us, that they they need to be treated better when they get home and, and get the services that they need. Then, you know, the, the reality is that today they're 1% of our our population are hmm. military service members. So one, one in 100 actually go into military service. So it's really not as prevalent as you might think. We need to take a short break right now, but don't change that dial. We'll be right back with Father Leo Blazy on Fear in Service of Country. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture on Divine Mercy Radio. Father Leo Blasey. Fear in Service of Country. 
Kelly Roper conducts the interview. We are talking with Father Leo Blazy. He is the pastor of Sacred Heart Church in Plainville and St. Thomas Church in Stockton. We're going to continue talking about fear in service for country and and all the things that, that go along with that. You know, when you're in the thick of it, we've talked about, you know, how difficult, especially Vietnam is, you know, and when you're in the, the thick of, of combat, does a, sh- a soldier have time to, to think about fear or does the training just simply take over? That's the reason that the military trains the way that it does and and as a helicopter pilot we did the same thing in our training for um, when something goes wrong in the helicopter we we practice over and over again our response to those situations so that you don't have to really think you just react Um, and if you know how to react that does a a lot to to get rid of to dissipate the fears and the anxieties that you have Um, so the military training really focuses on that and again you, you learn it as a way of life. You do the training exercises that, that may take place for one or two months out of the year for an active duty person, and then the rest of the year you're, you're doing your, your regular um, things that you do, whether you're a, me- a mechanic on a truck or on a helicopter. But even then, you're, there are exercises going on that, that make you know that, that how you can respond to the, the stressful environment. We learn to rely on our training and we learn to rely on our brothers. And, mm-hmm. and that goes a long way to, to get rid of the, the reactionary fear that, that becomes problematic in those situations. Mm-hmm. You know, the average person in the United States may have to make a, a quick reaction to a, a stressful thing maybe once a day, maybe once or twice a week. Maybe somebody pulls out in front of you with a car or something and you have to make a a snap decision on how to respond to, to avoid the accident. In the military, sometimes those things are happening minute after minute after minute for yeah. for a long period of time. And, yeah. and you cannot, as a, as a human being, you can't function that way unless you have prepared yourself in a way that, that gives you the response even before you have to think about it sometimes. But getting back to where we were at before, doing those things and re- reacting without dwelling on them gives you plenty to think about when you get home and yeah. you're those you're you're decompressing from those things and those thoughts come back and a lot of times those thoughts are haunting i'm going to go a little bit into my background because i think it, it will help people to understand um, my father was one of 17 kids nine boys and eight girls Seven of the nine boys served in the military either during World War II or during the Korean War. Uh, I lost my Uncle Daniel during the Korean War in an Air Force accident. Um, I, Myself and my brother, we're, there were three boys in my family. Um, myself and my brother Randy were both military service. Jeff tried to go, but he was had a medical deal that didn't allow him. And all three of my boys and one of my girls are involved with the military. Um, and two of my three boys have been combat deployed, and and both of them came back with some some PTSD. But the difference is that my family is large, and my family is close, and so they were able to really lean on family and and, and work through those things. And that's the a big thing that a lot of our military members coming back today don't have. Our families are not as big as they used to be. Our families are not as close as they used to be. 
So I had somebody ask me, well, what's the difference between the guys in World War II and, and Vietnam that came back and they didn't have all these PTSD? Well, realistically, Vietnam has this, had the same kind of PTSD issues that, that we have in the, our combat veterans today. But in World War II, when the guys came home, first off, they were accepted back home. They were celebrated. And then they went back to their families, and their families were able to help them to, to deal and, and to get back into life and, and to, to do the things that and, – and they saw a purpose for that war. They knew that when they came back from World War II, they had fought a good cause and they had done the right thing. The guys that came back from Vietnam never felt that. And largely in the media and stuff, the, the war in Iraq and the war in Afghanistan have been portrayed as, as just a, a government cause that, that really was not a, a valiant cause. So they – they have the same yeah. things to deal with in that. And, you know, when you're in the military, you're sometimes you're called to take a human life in defense of your country, in defense of your brother in, in, the, in the foxhole or the, the burrow next to you. So how do you deal with that when you come back? How do, how do you rationalize what you've done in combat and function in a normal world where that is abhorrent? The key... To getting back and being able to function as, as a, a normal person in, in the culture is to have strong family and strong faith. Mm. And the, the Catholic faith has been all of that to me, at, um, but I am truly blessed with a, a strong family as well, mm -hmm. supportive family. That Well, I talked about experiential learning, yeah, but, yes. you know, experiential fear, but we also have experiential bravery when we recognize that we can get through something because... We are strong enough and because God is with us. And when you know that God is on your side, it makes you stronger. And, you know, I can't take my family with me when I go on a combat deployment. But God is always with me. My faith is always there. And I, that there is, it's always that that I can fall back on. Um, the, the thing with that is, though, that you have to know your faith. Because if you're not strong in your faith and you go into a stressful environment, then you lose it like you lose everything else. The, yeah. the, the sole focus becomes on the, the thing that you're doing and the, the incident that you're trying to get through. But if you know your faith and it's strong, then it helps you as you're dealing with those situations. You're able to, to make judgments and be confident in those judgments because you know what's right and wrong. You're, you're able to apply the prudence to those, those judgments and say, you know, what I'm doing is right for the, the right reasons. And mm -hmm. that really helps you to be able to move on and go forward. Um, so, And when your family is your faith and, and your faith is your family, that just makes all that so much easier. So yeah. I, I'm so glad that I grew up in a Catholic family who, who was dedicated to the faith. And, you know, as a, as a young man in my early 20s, I, I drifted for a while and then I went to mass most of the time, but sometimes I didn't. But as soon as my kids started coming, I, you know, when you watch a child be born, you you got to know there's a God. Yeah. And that that takes all the fog away. And yeah. So I rededicated myself to my faith at that point, and then um, actually it was a group of guys at work that really helped me to understand how little I knew about my faith. I, you know, a lot of times when you graduate from high school, you finish your religious education, you say, I know everything I need to know to be a Catholic. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I talked about foolishness early. Yeah. Earlier, that's that's yeah. definitely foolishness. Yeah. We we will we can grow in our Catholic faith all of our lives and still only scratch the surface of what it really means. So, yeah. never think that you know everything that you can know. Never decide that you can't learn anything else that's going to be beneficial. Every day, our experience grows in who we are and who we are in our relationship with God. So. So trust in him and let him work in you, and it will make you a better person, a better employee, a better husband, a better spouse, better worker, whatever it is. You will be better because of your relationship with God. Such a powerful statement there. You know, I, I keep thinking of the, the statement, you know, it's something like there's there's no atheist in a foxhole, you know? And, and you know, so talk about how the that faith, you know, got you through even, you know, you've talked about how it got you through afterwards, but but is it true? You know, there's no, when you're in there, you're, you're certainly praying, I would think. The, the main reason that that is the truth um, for the person that is not, a, a faith-filled person that doesn't have a religious experience is you come to grips with I might die and is that it? And in the depth of our souls and everyone has a soul whether they're atheist or not we know that we are made for more and it just that kind of is, is brought out and, and put right in the center of our thoughts yeah. as we're facing death is, is what happens now. And so when you're facing death, and sometimes multiple times an hour, it forces you to realize that, you know, there is something beyond me, and, and God has a plan for me. And, yeah. and the people that have that knowledge beforehand are more capable of, of going in and saying, you know, if I die here, then I die here. I'm, God is going to bring me back, and I'm going to live in eternity with Him. Yeah. So that diminishes a, a lot of the fear. Um, Dad was working on the farm one time, and, and one of the neighbors was not a Catholic, and he didn't like Catholics. And he made a smart remark to, to my grandfather, the, the neighbor did, and my grandfather looked at him and he said, your two boys were in World War II. You asked them who the chaplains were that were on the front line with your boys and, and, and what they did for them. And his boys told him that the Catholic chaplains were the ones that were there in the front mm -hmm. and they were willing to, to be in there and, and fight. You know, we, we've got Father Emil Capon from Kansas mm -hmm. who's, mm -hmm. who's being looked at for sainthood and there are a number of other chaplains, military chaplains. If you know who you are in your relationship with God, then what happens on this earth is is only a small part of it. Yeah. And so we're not afraid to give our very selves for our brothers, and that's what we're called to do. You know, We take up our cross and we follow Christ. Where did Christ go? He went to his death. Mm -hmm. When you've got military members that understand that and that recognize the value of their brothers and the, and the value of the lives of those that are with them, you, you don't really have a place to be afraid. Not afraid for your life. There are things, you know, and that's why I made the distinction in what fear is, is because we all have fear. And, and I'll reiterate again, to be fearless, to be really fearless is to be foolish. There are things that can hurt us. Um, if I go up to the side of a cliff and think I can jump off of it and survive, that's not fearless, that's foolish. So uh, 
But when we, when we know who we are and we know where we're going, we have no reason to fear evil. Mm -hmm. We have no reason to fear death. We have no reason to fear because we know that God is there with us and God is for us. And the, the difference between us as human beings and, and the other animals is that we have an intellect. We can think about things. We can learn things. We can recognize things. And so, you know, if, if the instinctual fear tells us that we should run from an animal that's smaller than us, we can look at that and say, you know, I don't think I need to be afraid of that. Yeah. Or a dark room, you know. Yeah. A, a number of the things that are triggers for fear in, in the modern day is fear of darkness, loss of visual surroundings, fear of heights and flying, fear of social interaction, especially if you're an introvert. One of the biggest fears today a lot of people have is fear of snakes and rodents and spiders and animals. And the biggest one is fear of death and dying. We can look as intellectual people at these things and, and decipher whether they are truly dangerous for us or not. Mm -hmm. When I was a child, I was afraid of the dark. I'm not afraid of the dark. When I was a child, I was afraid of snakes. Now I know the difference between the dangerous snakes and the ones that aren't dangerous. So for the most part, I'm not afraid of snakes anymore. I'm afraid of the ones that can kill me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As a child, I didn't understand death. So there was a fear there because I didn't understand it. As a priest, I know what death is and I know what comes after death. I am not afraid of death. The, the, the scriptural term, be not afraid, is talking about don't be afraid of the things that can harm your body. Don't be afraid of the things that can hurt you in this life. Okay. Be afraid of what can take you away from God for eternity. Mm -hmm. And the reality of it is, I, I had this in a homily a while back, the reality is that the only thing that can keep you from getting to heaven each one of us has the, the grace and the, the intellect to get to heaven. Mm -hmm. God will make sure that we have what we need to get there. Mm -hmm. It's up to us to accept it, to receive it. The devil can do what the devil will do, but we have to make the final decision. Mm -hmm. And the only unforgivable sin is the sin of final desperation in the Holy Spirit and believing that the Holy Spirit can't do what we need to get us to heaven. We now have about three minutes left, so what would you like to share with us? Train yourself in the spiritual understanding of God, and you will have nothing to fear. Just yeah. as our military training trained us to be fearless in, in the face of battle, yeah. God is there for you. Yeah. May the Lord bless and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be with you forever and ever. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. Would you like to hear your business or service right here as an underwriter for this Double-Edged Sword show? Your underwriting would run three times with this show, and the show runs five times a week. Interested? Give me a call, 785-621-4110. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 101.7 KJDM, Lindsborg, Salina, 105.7 KMDG, Hayes, 88.1 KRTT, Great Bend, and 88.1 KVDM, Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.